Welcome to Kinetic Conversations. Today, we'll be continuing our series on the story ballet with an episode entitled Heroes and Villains. We often talk about the hero or the heroine, but the bad seed often provides much of the conflict that propels the story. Again, we're joined by artistic director Karen Gibbons-Brown. Welcome. Thanks for having me. Every story has characters. That's part of what propels a story. And villains, many of the stories have them, and they're often the counterpart, the good versus evil, or the misunderstood, and they propel a lot. So let's start with some of the early stories we mentioned, the last ones. We talked about La Salfide. Mm -hmm. We talked about Giselle a little bit. Talk a little bit about the villains and the conflict there. Sometimes it's so clear who the villain is in Sleeping Beauty, for instance. We call the villain Carabas, but that would be Maleficent in Disneyland. Mm -hmm. But sometimes you're not always sure who the villain is. An example of that would be Colpelia. So Dr. Colpelius is the one that creates the magic for the village. However, Swanhilda is the one that sort of destroys things. But in the end, you want to like Swanhilda. She ends up getting married. The story revolves around her and her boyfriend, Franz. But is she really a villain? It's a great question. We've got several of those ballets. We've got Madge the Witch and La Sylphide, you mentioned, and the whole reason things fall apart is, of course, because of Madge. Well, and the villains always have a backstory. There's a reason that they're angry or they're (laughs) not happy. So with some of that, talk about with Madge or talk about with Giselle and and that situation with Merta and the whole Willie situation, what propels them to be maybe not so nice? Well... It's different for every story. For instance, Madge the Witch in La Sylphide is very upset because the owner of the manor, James, will not let her in and be kind to her. So Madge the Witch casts a spell upon James, which ends very badly, of course, at the end of the ballet. So this is retribution in her case. Carabas in Sleeping Beauty is the same. It's retribution. She was not invited to the party. She is considered the seventh fairy of the kingdom, but she's the bad fairy because sometimes you'll see and hear in the ballet the legend of Carabas is that she was not given enough attention (laughs) or given a good virtue. All the other fairies have good virtues that they're representing. So it depends on the specific ballet, but they all do have a backstory indeed. And with the situation with Giselle, when you have Merta, who's the queen of the willies, and you have the willies, which are all jilted women, um, <laughs> how does the Myrta character become the queen? And does that really become the villain, or is it the whole group of willies that becomes that sort of uh, dark side? She's the leader of the pack, so to speak. But as the legend goes, she is the oldest willie. And once you're dead, the spirit lives on forever. So likely she'll always be the leader of the pack of willies. I think, too, in many of these ballets, you don't have a single person. You mentioned that in Giselle. You quite often have a group of people that follow that leader. Some of the ballets that we're familiar with and the one we're going to be doing, Swan Lake, um, they also have very, you mentioned already Carabas with Mm -hmm. Sleeping Beauty, but Swan Lake, um, the Nutcracker, everybody's familiar with the Nutcracker. Start with the Nutcracker. Where do you see the villain or the conflict or the protagonist in the Nutcracker? Interesting about Nutcracker, what you see as the ballet is only a very small part of the whole story. If you back up to the whole story, there was a big argument between the Mouse Rink family, and we know that as the Mouse King or Queen in the Nutcracker story ballet, 
and the Drosselmeyer family. There was a terrible spell cast on the Drosselmeyer child, who was going to be a little wooden toy until true love, somebody pure of heart, changed his life. And there's a whole thing about walking backwards and turning eight times and breaking a nut and traveling to Krakatau. And, but what you see is the ballet, you have the mouse king or queen as the antagonist in the ballet. And do you think with the current version of Nutcracker, well, the story obviously has become something that people are very familiar with, and obviously it works, people come, but that sort of conflict is not as obvious uh, because it's not really a big part of the story right now. It's, it's a wonderful scene in the ballet. It happens to be one of my favorite parts of the ballet, but it's over, and quite often it's done as a little more comedy as opposed to tragedy. And I'm sure some of that is because the way we now present the Nutcracker is lighthearted and a form of escapism. But I've always thought that the story of how the Nutcracker became the Nutcracker would be a really fabulous and interesting ballet to do. Skipping on to look at Swan Lake, we talk about the villains, but there's always a hero or a heroine or a counterbalance. And with Swan Lake specifically, not only the character, talk about that, but also maybe how it's often presented and that the character might be represented by the same dancer and why that might be a case for sometimes uh, doing that. Uh, there's a lot that you just put in that little bit. Sometimes the male lead is the villain. You mentioned Giselle. Oftentimes people think Lois or Albrecht, who is disguised as Lois, is the bad guy because he breaks Giselle's heart. Mm -hmm. She becomes yeah. a willy. Right. So somewhat of the same thing happens in Swan Lake. Prince Siegfried meets this lovely swan and she'll turn back into a woman if he professes his love to her and they are engaged to be married or betrothed as we would say <laughs> at that point in time. And because he broke her heart in the ballet, that can't happen any longer. But obvious villain in that specific ballet is von Rothbart, mm. who is a sorcerer or sorceress who all kingdoms have evil people, right. whoever wants to take over the kingdom. And he happens, von Rothbart or she, puts spells on these beautiful young maidens and they become swans by day and princesses in human form only in the evenings between midnight and dawn, similar to a romantic era ballet. It sounds like it could fit right into that. Uh, the only way the spell can be broken outside of that true love happening is if von Rothbard is destroyed in some manner. So jumping ahead, you talked about interpretation based on how you both see the characters, but also playing the roles. In Swan Lake, it's often that Odile and Odette are played by the same dancer, correct? Originally, the two parts, the white swan, Odette, and the black swan, Odile, were played by two separate characters. Okay. And the reason being that you often have strengths as a dancer, and this displayed the strengths of those two particular dancers. As we've morphed this ballet through the generations, it's become a real showpiece and a real testimony to the, not just the technique and strength, but the artistry of the dancer playing both those roles because it's such a versatile expectation of the choreography. So now we more often than not do it with the same dancer doing Odette Odile. When we think a little bit about interpretation too, I'm assuming, as you alluded to, that part of the creativity of whoever's setting the ballet is being able to play on 
how you interpret things. So certain characters could be seen, depending on how they're represented, sure. in a different way. And I don't know how much of that's the artistic director or how much of that's the dancer. Is How much of that's left up to that individual? I think it depends on the person at the front of the room or the director. In our process here, we happen to have three different Odetto deals. So through that process, they'll each look very different in what they do. And they're choosing different personality traits to display with their characters, which is lovely to see. Not one of them looks the same. Yet they do have that creativity, as you said, to create the type of personality that they want. Their parameters, one is good and one is evil. One is Queen of the Swans and the other is Von Rothbart's daughter that comes to beguile the prince and hopefully get him to profess his love to her so the spell can't be broken any longer and all of these women will remain swans forever. So you get a little wiggle room as the artist dancing the role to decide how exactly you want to play her. Is she harsh? Is she aggressive? Is the white swan too soft? Is she frail? Is she fragile? Is she determined? How does that happen? And how you choose to play that character determines how you present your steps technically. Well, and, and, and wrapping up this segment too, I have a question related to not how you play the character. There's some obvious characters that you would see as good versus evil, Carabas, that, that's an obvious character. Right. But you just alluded to some interpretation. So my last question to this is, what can change that's basically not a lead character, but either supporting characters that changes that, or even endings or ways that the story resolves that actually changes the entire tenor? Because I know that there are different endings for different ballets or different interpretations of that. And how does that affect the performance? There are three different endings that are accepted for Swan Lake. One is tragedy all the way around, one is tragedy with hope, and one is there is no tragedy at all except the villain is overcome. Mm -hmm. And I think that depends on the artistic director as how they choose to present it. I think that that is probably the example of the ballet that has the most <laughs> ending options. In terms of options right. Right. Um, but I think there are also some choices nowadays that we're making in gender choices for roles. It's very common from specifically the Romantic era to have parts done on travesty, where men play female roles like Carabas. And the reason is the juxtaposition of a larger physical form against the smaller female form doing the good fairies versus the bad. I think that now we're flipping some of that and allowing the women to take on some of these villain roles. And those are the meatiest roles of the ballet. There's always a villain in all story ballets. You just have to look for it. But it's quite the meaty role to be able to be Well, the and I would think it'd be fun. I yeah. mean, you get to actually Absolutely. really be able to add some creativity to representation of that character. And the technical expectation, although there are those technical expectations, you have more wiggle room in the choreography as well and how it's presented. And they're great fun to do. Well, we will look forward to see what your ending is for Swan Lake. And thank you for being with us today. Thank you. Fort Wayne Ballet will perform Swan Lake March 24th through 26th at the Arch United Center. You can purchase tickets by visiting the Fort Wayne Ballet website, artsticks.org, or calling the box office 422-4226. Kinetic Conversations is brought to you by Fort Wayne Ballet and Wayne Shaw Productions. Our guest was Fort Wayne Ballet Artistic Director Karen Gibbons-Brown. If you'd like to receive notifications on future podcasts, please like the podcast 
and go to fortwayneballet.org to sign up for notifications on performances, podcasts, and more ballet news. You'll also find a library of past episodes on our website in the menu of options. Until next time, I'm Jim Sparrow, and thanks for listening to Kinetic Conversations with Fort Wayne Ballet. has been a Wayne Shout production. Wayne Shout.